Welcome to, this is the first Veritas of this summer. I hope you guys are as excited as I am to be here. Um, I can't really super well see faces, so I can't see excitement, but I'm sure it's there. I can feel it. I know it's there. Um, some of you guys, you've, you've been coming to Veritas for a while. Some of you um, maybe are calling Veritas your home for the summer. Some of you, maybe you just graduated high school and this is your first time, your second time at Veritas, and, and I want to say welcome. I'm, I'm glad that everyone is here. I'm excited for you to be here. Uh, my name is Justin. I uh, have been on staff with Veritas for uh, a little over three years now. So um, three years on staff. Before that, I graduated from Mizzou in 2015 with a degree that I do not use very much. Um, but that's okay. Before that, I was from a small town called King City, Missouri. Um, yep, I know one person, two people maybe that know where King City is. It's an hour and a half north of Kansas City, population of about 2,000, maybe, about that. Um, so yeah, from a super small town, another uh, kind of goofy, silly, but personal thing to know about me is that when I grew up, I, I, was never, uh, I was never the skinny kid. When I was in elementary school growing up, yeah, you laugh, ha ha. But it's, it's true, I wasn't. I remember, I remember going to JCPenney with my mom to get like back to school clothes. And I remember when we bought jeans, they had to say Husky on them. Now, I didn't know when we were buying these, like, what husky meant, you know, it's like Levi Husky. Okay, cool. It's just like the, the type of jean. Like, that, everybody probably gets husky jeans. It's cool. My dog was a husky. It's awesome. I learned later that husky is for the bigger kids. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was something that I learned that wasn't, wasn't super fun to learn. Um, on top of that, if you're in, like, a sports team or a club, even now, they give away t-shirts for everything. And, and one of the things I remember from being a kid is, is they would always ask your t-shirt size. And, and I remember, I, guys, I hated that question. Like, I hated when they asked me what my t-shirt size was because I remember that it was always a size bigger than my friends. You know, if my friends were a small, I was a medium. If my friends were a medium, I was a large. And, and so that was just something that, they kind of stuck with me throughout, throughout my childhood into high school, and, and it still sticks with me even some today. Um, so I actually have a few pictures uh, to kind of, you know, visual aids. There's me playing basketball, purple and gold Wildcats. Let's go. Uh, probably crossing someone over. You know, I scored a bucket right after that, guaranteed. Um, and then uh, there's also a picture of me. Uh, went on a trip to, obviously, Washington, D.C., um, I asked a staff member earlier how old they thought I was in that picture, and she said 12, and I was 16 in that picture. <laughs> um, just finished up my sophomore year of high school. So, yeah, that was, that was growing up for me. And, and now I know, like, I make, the, I make these jokes. I laugh at myself. It's, it's funny, but at the same time, there's part of me that, that growing up, and, and like I said now, that was, that was tough for me. You know, when I grew up, I, I never felt skinny enough. I, I just never felt 
Like I was like my friends. I just, I wasn't good enough. And, and sometimes even today, I still feel like I'm not skinny enough or I'm not good enough. And I'm sure if we ask that, all of us in here can think of a way that we don't feel good enough, right? You know, maybe, maybe it's image, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's you don't feel smart enough. You didn't feel smart enough. Or you didn't feel popular enough. Or maybe you didn't feel like you had the newest, nicest things. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's something for all of us. Something that I'm sure everyone in here can say, yeah, I just, I felt like I wasn't enough. You know, on top of that, guys, we live in, in a culture filled with social media and, and friends, and we have peers, and it, and it always seems to feel like everyone else has it all together, right? It feels like when we get on Instagram that people are going to the coolest places, and they're doing the funnest things, and, and we're not doing any of that. Um, you know, even in the day and age of resumes, of, of LinkedIn, you know, you can look at someone's profile, you can look at someone's resume, and you compare yourself, and just, it's easy to feel like you don't measure up, like you're not doing as much as others. And, and I think that definitely also applies to, like, the Christian culture, the Christian realm as well. You know, we know other people that are going on mission trips all the time, and they're working for a nonprofit organization, and they are, you know, having the perfect quiet time at the best coffee shop, and they have the closest group of friends. And, and now, we, we all know, I would say, none of those are bad things, right? It's not bad to go on mission trips. It's not bad to read our Bibles or to memorize scripture. But instead of feeling encouraged by some of these, they leave us feeling paralyzed. Instead of feeling, you know, excited and, and pushed forward by other Christians, by Christians that might look more successful than us, they leave us feeling inadequate. And so this summer, we're doing a six-week series, and we're going to look at six people, six people in the Bible that weren't good enough. These people are in the line of Jesus, and, and just like me and you, they, they weren't perfect. They had insecurities. They had flaws. They made mistakes. And nevertheless, these six people, God chose to use them in significant ways to further his kingdom purpose. And whether you like it or not, whether I like it or not, you and I were just like them. We aren't perfect. We make mistakes. We have flaws. And yet... If we're a Christian tonight, then God has a purpose for us. He has, we have a role to play in restoring his kingdom, his kingdom of love and of justice and of mercy, of making a difference in the world in Colombia for his glory. And so I'll, let me ask you this. Has someone ever promised you something but it's taken them a long time to follow through with their promise or, or to fulfill their promise or to give you what they've promised. How, how would you say that you handle those situations? Would you describe yourself as a patient person? 
That's the question. Let's take school for an example. You know, we've all, most all of us probably have taken a test or written a paper. What about the time after you take your test, after you write your paper, before you get your grade back? Sometimes it's a couple days, sometimes it's the same day, but sometimes it's a week. Sometimes it's two weeks. Would you say in that time that you're patient? Would you say that you wait patiently for your grade? Or what about the time that you're hanging out with people, you ask someone to hang out, and they're like, yeah, yeah, sure, let's hang out later. And then you follow up with a text or something later, you try to reach out to them and say, hey, are we still hanging out? And they don't get back to you right away. How long will you actually wait for them to get back to you? How do you wait until they get back to you? Are you, are you patient? Are you, you know, okay with it? Or is that all you can think about and you're just like super upset because you can't have a plan and you're just super mad at that person because they said they'd hang out with you, but they won't get back to you? I don't know. That's how I am. Maybe, maybe you're not like that. Maybe that's just me. What about internships or job opportunities, organizations that we're applying for on campus, asking someone on a date, how long can you wait before you grow impatient? How long before you're going crazy because that thing is all you can think about? Maybe, for some of you, it's a month. Maybe a week or, I don't know, a couple days. I'm sure for some of us, 24 hours feels like the longest time in the world. And now, I'm sure some of you are thinking, and you could probably say, Justin, why does this matter? Why does it matter if I'm impatient with these little things throughout my day? And, and I think that that's a really, really good question. But I think I would follow it up with a question, and I would ask you, if you can't wait patiently in in the little things in our day-to-day lives that we probably tend to forget shortly after, well then, how are we going to be able to wait patiently with God's promises? You see, God makes amazing promises to his people, but these promises, they are on his timeline, not on ours. For example, if we look at one of God's promises, we can look at Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 28, it says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Paul, the the author of the New Testament book uh, of Romans, he tells us here that all things, joys, but also sorrows and trials and hardships, they're used for good. We might not know why, we might not know how, or we might not know when, but God's promise is that he is working all things together according to his purpose. That's an amazing promise that God gives us through his word. But with that promise, we're called to be patient and we're called to trust that God will uphold his promises. And, and guys, our patience, or lack thereof, maybe our impatience, it, it reveals what we believe about God's promises. You see, it reveals where we struggle to trust God with our daily lives. 
And, and I want you guys to know that tonight you're in good company. I'm not standing up here talking as the most patient person. And so know that this is something that everyone here, we are all in process with this. And that's okay. We're still figuring this out. And so tonight, I want to look at our first figure in the line of Jesus, someone who also struggled with patiently awaiting God's promises. And so without further ado, we are going to talk tonight about Sarah. Um, I don't know if many of you know who Sarah is, but we're going to talk about who she is. So we'll explain that if you don't. We're going to talk about what God promised her. And then finally, we're going to talk about a couple ways, we're going to look at a couple ways of how she responded to God's promise. So if you brought your Bibles tonight and you, you want to open them up, we're going to be uh, in the book of Genesis for the most of tonight. It's the first book of the Bible, so it should be um, easy to find. And we're going to look at Sarah and her husband, Abraham, and we're going to look at their life. Um, now, something to, to be careful about, just so nobody gets confused uh, Sarah, in the earlier parts of, of their story, her name is Sarai with an I on the end. And then God changes her name to Sarah with an H. Um, outside of the verses that we read, I'm going to call her Sarah just so that I don't get confused myself or confuse you. Um, and then Abraham, also at first his name was Abram. So Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah. I will call them Abraham and Sarah. Uh, just to be easy. So let's look at Genesis. We're going to start in chapter 11 and see what we learn about Sarah. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. Now Sarai was barren. She had no children. So the first two things we learn about Sarah is, is one that we already said, that she is, is Abraham's wife. Okay, the second thing we learn is that she's barren. She doesn't have any kids. And I think if we were reading this in a group of verses, that would be an easy text for us to skip over, probably, because, well, first of all, this is a college ministry, and so I'm assuming most of us aren't having kids yet or trying to have kids, so it's not really one of those things that's on the forefront of our mind a lot. And secondly, in our culture today, it's not super uncommon for couples to not have kids. You know, there, there are a lot of couples, I know couples in my life that, that are choosing, opting to not have kids. And, and that's okay. That's, that's more of a personal choice for people when they get married. But it's important to know the context of Abraham and Sarah's time because the context in the relation to having kids for them was very different. You see, in, in their cultural moment, motherhood was the only career option that Sarah had. There was no alternative. So, so not being able to have children for Sarah, we can expect that to lead to feelings of, of bitterness, of frustration, of isolation. I mean, can you imagine the feelings of not being enough when you can't do the one thing that culture says that you were born to do. Also on top of that, your kids were the ones that took care of you. They didn't have nursing homes. They, they didn't have assisted livings with bingo night and shuffleboard. 
So basically, you were relying on your kids or your family to take care of you when you got old. So just from those two verses, we can already learn so much about Abram and Sarah's life circumstances. So let's keep reading. Let's read in the beginning of chapter 12, and let's see God's promises to them. Chapter 12, verse 1 says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So what do we see God's promise to Abraham and Sarah? Well, God tells them to go. He tells them to leave their family, to cross a desert to a new land, and that he is going to make them into a great nation. They will have many descendants, and they're going to be a blessing to all the families. We see God repeat the promise specifically of many descendants multiple times throughout the book of Genesis. He tells Sarah and Abraham that their offspring, that they'll be as numerous as the stars. And, and I'm sitting here thinking, what? Now, now, you and I, we know, we talked, we said that Abraham and Sarah, they don't have any kids. Well, something else that I didn't mention is that at this point in time, Abraham is 75 years old. Sarah is 65 years old. So not only do they not have kids yet, but they're old. And so the chances of having kids have probably gone down a little bit, if not a significant amount. But regardless, can you imagine God's promise? He makes this promise that, to Abraham and Sarah. Can you imagine him making that promise to you? He says, go to a land I'll give you. He says, you will be a great nation. He tells you that you will be a blessing. He tells you that you'll be able to finally do what you were made for. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be an amazing promise for God to give us? But what if he told you all about that, but that it didn't happen right away or, or it didn't happen soon. Let's look and see, let's look and see Sarah's responses. Let's look, uh, we're gonna first look at Genesis 16. And when we read this, I want you guys to think about Sarah's response to God's promise. And, and before pointing fingers, think about how similar maybe your response would be. Genesis 16, verse one. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Okay, first verse, chapter 16. We pick the story up and it's years down the road and the first thing we learn is that they still don't have children. So between Genesis 12 and Genesis 16, it has been over 10 years. Abraham and Sarah have been waiting 10 years for God to fulfill his promise. 10 years for a child that God told them that they would have. Can you imagine the tension? You, you hear God's promise, you're excited, you're eager, but it's been 10 years and it still has yet to be fulfilled. What would, what would you do 
if God promised you that, but you had to wait 10 years, it's like half of most of our lifetimes, I think it's safe to say in here. So if someone promised you 10 years ago something and it still hasn't happened, that's how Sarah and Abraham are now. Let's pick it up in verse two and let's see what Sarah does. Verse two, she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. So, so what do we read that, that Sarah does? How do we see Sarah's first response that is written in Genesis to God's promise? Well, she decides that she's waited long enough, right? You can imagine Sarah saying, well, I'm not getting any younger, so let's do something. So she takes God's plan. She takes it into her own hands. She takes her servant, and she gives her to her husband. You know, Sarah's thinking, God, this hasn't happened by me. Maybe this is what you mean. Maybe this is your plan. Maybe this is how all of this is going to be fulfilled. But if we had time to read on in Genesis, we would see that doing this, that wasn't God's plan. That wasn't the way that he was going to fulfill his promise. And doing this actually brought great pain to their family. Let's look at another time and see how Sarah continues to react to God's promise of offspring. Let's pick up uh, the story in chapter 18. Now, it had been 11 or 10 years since God's promise to Sarah and Hagar, and now it has been another 13 years. Abraham, we sit here, we learn at this time, is 99 years old, which makes Sarah around 89-ish. So the Lord appeared to Abraham, and, and he appeared to Sarah, and, and they're preparing a meal for the Lord. Let's pick it up in verse 9. They, the Lord, said to him, where is Sarah your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah your wife shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? So, so we can picture this. Sarah is in the tent. She's preparing food. Um, and you can imagine it's kind of like one of those times where you hear someone close by saying your name or, or you think they're talking about you. You know, it's kind of like she's making the food, you're like on your laptop, but the whole time you're like kind of listening. You're acting like you're working, but you're not actually working. That, that's kind of what's happening to Sarah right now. You know, she's in there, she hears people talking outside and she hears the Lord tell her what? She hears the Lord tell her that in a year, Sarah is gonna have a kid. And, and, and how does Sarah respond? Well, she laughs. But she doesn't laugh because she thinks God's telling a joke. No, she laughs, she scoffs in disbelief. Let's, let's keep reading in verse 13 and see what happens. The Lord said to Abraham, 
Why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He, God, said, no, but you did laugh. So Sarah laughs. She mocks God's promise of having a kid in a year, and then she lies to God about the laughing because she's afraid. And now these... Is that this is another one of those times that I don't want us to, to point fingers or to look down upon Sarah because we shouldn't be shocked. We, we shouldn't be surprised at Sarah's moments of impatience in her life, right? We shouldn't be surprised to see multiple occasions in our Bible that Sarah isn't perfect. No, because if we know our own hearts, that's, we know that we're the same way. We know that Sarah's story, it's just like ours. And so if, if we take a second, if you think about your life, have you ever done anything desperate like Sarah did with Hagar in chapter 16? What does that look like for you? What does it look like when your life isn't going as planned? Is that going to lead to desperation? Maybe that leads to desperation in the form of a relationship. Maybe your plan or your ideal goal is to get married within a couple years out of college, which means for some of you, maybe you need to start finding Mr. or Mrs. Wright right now or soon. But what if maybe for some of you, God's plan is, is singleness for five years or for 10 years? You could be very tempted to settle for the nice guy or, or the nice girl, whether they're a Christian or not, because you're impatient. And that's not how the Bible teaches dating and marriage should go. For some of us, maybe we feel impatient about our careers, right? We have to find the perfect internship that will lead to the perfect job in the best city, you know, what will be, we be tempted to do to get that job, to get that internship? Will be, we be willing to sacrifice? Will we sacrifice friends? Will we sacrifice community? Will we, will we sacrifice our relationship with Jesus? What about laughing at God? at God because of her impatience? Have you ever been cynical or, or impatient maybe with, with God's plan for your life? Maybe for some of you, this is how you feel about staying in Columbia this summer. Maybe you feel cynical and it feels like your friends, they all left, they're off doing bigger and better things and you're seeing it on social media and, and you're stuck here in Columbia and you just can't wait for August. You just want to fast forward. You just want to get to August. You just want things to get back to normal. Maybe for some of you, you showed up tonight, but you don't want to be patient because you don't know as many people or anyone here. And so meeting new people or meeting others at, at the first small group, that's going to be difficult. And, and you would rather just peace out and say, nah, I'm okay is that gonna lead to your relationship with Jesus being stagnant? 
this summer. You decide not to take any steps forward and really you're taking steps back. There's a, a wiser person than me. He, he once gave me this advice and he said, hang in there. He said, don't give up. Just because God's timing is different than our timing, it doesn't mean that he's being unfaithful. It just means that in some way, God's timing has to be different to give us his better plan. What if the singleness, the crazy amount of downtime that you have this summer, the different jobs, those new friends that aren't a part of your life normally, what if that's a part of God's plan for your life this summer? What if that's the exact way that it's supposed to be? Now, whatever it is for you, the best news, the best news about Sarah's story, about our story, is that despite Sarah's impatience, God was faithful. Our Bible, it reassures us that God is and will be faithful to fulfill his promises because God has a plan. And he can use us, he used Sarah, even though she was impatient. Let's look one last time at Sarah's story and let's see how God's promise is fulfilled. Let's look at Genesis chapter 21. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. You see, the Lord did as he promised Sarah in spite of her impatience. In spite of her desperation, in spite of her mockery, God was faithful to his greater purpose for her life. Sarah's impatience, it wasn't enough to thwart God's plan. He was at work fulfilling his perfect plan in their lives. You see, God kept his promise because God always keeps his promises. God did this for Sarah. Do you believe that God can do this for you? When you've lost all hope of finding friends or when you've given up on the summer or when you've exhausted yourself worrying about your future and what it has in store, we have to remember what God told Sarah in Genesis 18. He says, is anything too hard for the Lord? And we know the answer. The answer, guys, is no. And because we know that nothing is too hard for the Lord, we can have hope and this truth, it challenges us. It should challenge us to be patient, to wait on the things that God has promised for us. And now, I know it's hard. It's hard when it feels like there's so much going on in life and we fail to be patient. We're going to fail to be patient and trust God's promises. But what we do have to do is we have to fight. We have to fight to believe and remember that God is faithful. And because of that, no matter how many times we feel like we aren't good enough, no matter how many times we feel like we aren't patient enough, God wants to use us. He can use us. He can use you here in Columbia, Missouri this summer. He can use you to further his kingdom. Imagine with me for a second how God could maybe use you. 
in those areas that, that you're struggling to be patient, or you're fighting impatience in your life, how could he use you for his greater purpose? Maybe there's, there's someone here, there's someone in this room that you don't know and, and God is challenging you to be patient to build a new friendship, a new relationship that is gonna take time, it's gonna take energy, but that friendship, that relationship, it can be glorifying to God even if it's only for a couple weeks. Maybe for some of you, it's learning how to be patient with the people who make you impatient. Maybe it's learning how to love those people and fight to love them patiently, remembering that God is patient with us and he fulfills his promises to us. You know, all of us, many of us, I think it's safe to say summer, it brings about a different schedule. What if for this summer, all of us in here, this was a summer of learning to be patient and quiet in God's word? What could happen if we were seeking out God's truth this summer, his promises? What would happen if we were patient and we were resting in our relationship with God? And so as the music team comes up, I just, I just wanna end with this. I don't know everybody in this room. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what God has planned for you in the days, in the weeks to come. But what I do know is what we learn in Genesis 18 is that nothing is too hard for the Lord. No matter how impatient we are and no matter how much that causes our thoughts or our feelings to ebb and flow, our God is faithful. In all of our imperfections, in all of our messiness, he can use us to be a blessing to others. He can use you in beautiful ways this summer to be a light to others, to further his kingdom of love and of justice and of mercy. Guys, that's exciting and that's something that we want to be encouraged and eager about this summer, the ways that God can use you and your life and your story. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for bringing this group here tonight. God, we come here and, and culture, it tells us so many things and it tells us all the ways that we aren't good enough. But God, we see in the Bible that you use those that aren't good enough to further your purpose, to spread your kingdom. God, because you are faithful and you are steadfast and we can cling to that. And so God, as we leave here tonight, I pray that we would trust you and trust that you have a plan for our lives and we can sit in that and be patient in that. God, help us to be patient. Help us to love you in everything that we do.